Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? (coughs) Well, enjoying the first gray day we've had in quite a few weeks, 
and the plants are especially enjoying it. I couldn't actually say it rained, but the moisture in the air did condense every once in a while, enough so that there is actually moisture on the ground and on the leaves of the plants, but we would all like for it to rain. Enough for the plants to perk up, but not enough for any of the ponds to perk up. I I hear that, by and large, however, we're doing exceptionally well compared to out west. Yeah, so dry, so dry. How's your garden growing? Uh, our garden is amazingly abundant. Uh, the wind tried to take out the corn. Um, so I had a long, hot morning. I was a couple weeks ago out there with the corn trying to stand her back up. I was singing the sacred corn mother song, thinking that that might help inspire things. <laughs> so she's doing pretty well. The ears of corn are looking great. Been harvesting beans and the squash from the Three Sisters garden. And um, I was late on the tomatoes, but there's so many tomatoes. They're just all not quite ready yet. I take that back. I had a couple little cherry tomatoes that were yellow and very tasty, but um, lots of chard, lots of collards, and enough greens for all winter. So it's been fun that in that way. Very fun having a garden like this. It's so satisfying to grow yeah. something you can use to feed yourself. Mm-hmm. For a year, I worked for a program called Gardens for All, and their mandate was exactly that. I was sent to nursing homes and schools and uh, senior residences, any place where people live that they thought there's some land there, they can have a garden. And it the work they did in schools has led to gardens in certainly all the schools in our area, and I know that a great many areas um, have been left with a legacy of gardens there at the school. I think it's such an important self-affirming thing for a child mm-hmm. to have that experience. Of course, it's great for adults, but you know, to really get that at a young age is such an incredible gift. And I was working at a residence for seniors with dementia. And one of the people supervising me was a little distressed because I hadn't made them plant their seeds in straight rows. I just let them plant them in wiggly rows. Because I didn't think that straight was especially important. And it seemed to me that they wanted to make their rows wiggly, and perhaps that was something important to them. So I got a little heat for that. And yeah. However, the, for me, the great exquisite joy of that was when we harvested the first greens from their patch and cooked them up, and they, I stayed, and they got to eat their greens for lunch. And the looks of joy and delight, it was like these aged faces, like 50, 60, 70 years dropped away from them. And they, oh. their eyes were, you know, like early adulthood. They were so 
there and glittery and present and filled with the joy of life. So marvelous. So marvelous. Such abundance when we engage. I just am so blessed. So, yeah. What a blessing you give to your community by sharing those gardens. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Uh, However, I've also been saying that August is the month of disappointment for gardeners. Some critter came and bit off the tops of my tomatoes. Oh. They'll probably re-sprout from the axles, and there are still tomatoes left on the vine, some of which are getting ripe. So they didn't, like, take away all the tomatoes. They just ate the tomato plants. And then the peach tree had so many peaches on it that it fell over. Oh. In fact, Did any it didn't just fall over. It, it broke. Wow. So now, I'm, and now every day I go out and look at the peaches and say, Okay, deer are not coming in eating them yet. We're going to let them get ripe. We're going to let them get ripe. We're going to let them get ripe. And hopefully they no. will. I hope so. But, that sounds so delicious. <laughs> but for for many gardeners, August is the month when the thing that you've been coddling and taking care of, as you say, the wind blows it down. The hail comes. The rain washes it away. The critters come and eat it. The insects bore into it. By August, everybody mm. wants a bite of your garden. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that is so interesting. I And you mentioned the insects. They, the pollinators, have been so abundant here. And I've been stung. My friend has been stung, fortunately, by bees, which is ouch, but not horrible. But my husband now has been stung twice by either wasps or yellow jackets once in the arch of the sole of his foot. And I'll just say props to Osha and Plantain for my and his behalf because he has done great relief utilizing both of those. Yes, we had figured out medically that, in fact, nobody's allergic to bees. Mm-hmm. Because, as you say, ouch, but really, no big ouch, but wasps, hornets, yellow jackets, mm. oh! Mm. And not only that, a bee stings you once, whereas the other flying, stinging things can sting you over and over and over again. Mm. Wow. It's, Do you know how in yeah, the cartoons, no he messes with the nest of them and they chase the person? Yes. Mm. They really do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. Wow. So the OSHA has has prevented al- allergic reactions from the stings for him. So the first one in the arch of the sole of his foot, he took the OSHA about 30 minutes later, and the swelling had already started to set in, and that one got more painful, maybe because of the, the sting location, but it got more painful, and it has stayed more aggravating and painful and the swelling has been bigger um just this afternoon he got stung again in his thigh right above the knee and i said take the ocean immediately if you want and he did and um it the swelling hardly set in at all until just about before i dialed in for the show 
I, he said, oh, look. And I said, oh, you might want to take some more. But he instead went for the plantain. And he said, oh, blessed be the plantain. So it's providing him great relief now. So, yes. Yay. Hooray. Yes. Yes. Other thing that I have found with these kinds of things is, and this is actually now pretty established medically, is don't move. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're being chased, run away. Mm-hmm. But if you've just been stung or bitten by something, do not run away. Because you will circulate the venom. Move as little as you can. And I think that's one of the things that the plantain does by putting the plantain on it immediately. It helps to localize it. You know how in the scouts they used to say, oh, you know, you get a sharp razor blade and you cut where the snake has bitten you and you suck out the venom. Well, you can't actually suck out the venom. And people got horrible infections from being cut by a razor blade. Yick! <laughs> and what they found was people who just still fared the best. Mm. Yeah, so interesting. That's great to remember that. I I saw that once in, on an animal nature show. One of those little meerkats had been stung by bitten by a snake, and it stayed in its hole for three or four days, and it survived. And the whole episode was about will it or won't it survive because it was a very deadly snake, but it survived by not moving. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was fascinating. That was the first I'd ever heard of that, and it's so great to remember that. I should I should let him know as soon as possible. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Yeah, especially if it's right on his knee. Mhm. 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 Mm. Our guest tonight is an ordained shamanic priestess and the author of nine books. She writes an Herbal Journeys column for Witches and Pagans magazine. Jamie Della will be with us at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. So stay with us until then or come back and hear what Jamie has to say about her book, The Book of Spells, which is now for sale in Target. Who would have thought? Hmm. Do we have any people with questions tonight? Well, we have one person who has already uh, put themselves uh, first place in the queue by pressing the number one on their telephone keypad. And I'll just remind everyone else listening, if you have a question, please remember to press one and get yourself lined up in the queue. Uh, The first caller with the hand raised is calling from the 630 area code. From the 630, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan. How are you doing this evening? So well. And you? Doing well, yeah. It's a really nice night. So I had two questions this evening. The first one is, is that I found a bunch of wood nettle out in the woods today, and I was curious if it had similar properties to stinging nettle or if there were differences or how you might prepare that, can prepare it. You can. They do have similar properties. Laporatia, the woodland nettle, um, has a much fiercer sting. 
Yeah. I've been so yeah. much I actually learned that today. Right? I mean, whoa. But when it's stinging, yeah. it's like stinging. And yeah. it doesn't go away the way that the other nettle does. It like stings and yeah. itches for a long, much longer time. So remember that nettle, nettles in general are rich in fiber. And, in fact, they're mm. used to make rope and to make fabric. Cool. And so the woodland nettle has more stalk, right, and a bigger stalk. Yeah. And leaves have bigger petioles and longer petioles. So there's a lot more fibrous stuff in the woodland nettle that you have to get around in order to make it edible. When I was doing a Green Goddess Week out in Washington State, we found some what looked like really nice, new, tender nettle. Granted, it was in the fall, but it was alongside a road, and it looked like the road crew had come along and cut the nettle, and the nettle had regrown. And it was, mm-hmm. oh, a little less than knee-high and just a beautiful green and, you know, no flowers or seeds or anything like that on it. And we harvested it and took it back and cooked it 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 and cooked it. <laughs> And we could have made a dress of it or paper of it or roofed the house with it, but there was no way we were ever going to be able to eat it because it was so fibrous. And then the people who lived there said, well, yeah, the native people who lived here never ate the nettle because it was too fibrous. Hmm. So nettle is always going to be at its tenderest when? Young. Right. When it's young, yeah. And this woodland nettle is probably pretty old. Yeah. So while it's edible, it doesn't necessarily mean it would be tasty or delicious. Okay. But mess around with it, right? Yeah, totally. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So then my second question is, and... I apologize if you've already addressed this. I haven't listened in a while because it's seasonally topical. But I have a question about um, ragweed pollen and when you have reactions to that and any sort of herbal remedies or precautions or something you can take because I work outside a lot and so I'm constantly sneezing and all that stuff. If you look at microscopic views of pollen, individual, individual pollen grains are so unique. Mm. And they're very beautiful, and they're usually symmetrical. And ragweed pollen looks like a medieval torture device. Have you seen it? (laughs) No, I haven't. Have you ever seen a Datura seed pod? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know what that is. Okay, Datura is a poisonous plant that has a seed pod which has spikes coming out in all directions. Okay, okay. And so does the ragweed pollen. I see. You look at it and you think any sane nose would sneeze if this got in it. Sure. So what do we have to do? What can we do to convince our body that, yo, it's just ragweed pollen. You do not have to send out the militia here. (laughs) Right? 
That's that's yeah. what we want. We say, hey, I know it's irritating, it's ugly. Ugh. We'll sneeze a little bit, we'll blow our nose a little bit, but you don't have to get like totally upset about it. Well, Sarah Ellen was just talking about her husband using OSHA, Ligustica right. porteri, right? The root of a plant in the carrot parsley family, okay. which is sometimes called bear medicine and which can stop a histamine reaction. Hmm. A it's very small OSHA. amount of it. OSHA, O-S-H-A, OSHA. A very right. small amount of it, three to five drops at a time is all that's needed. Got it, okay. My, my aunt was visiting um, for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and she came in to the room I was in with her eyes all red, and she was crying, and her nose was dripping, and my aunt is not a really romantic person, so I knew it was allergies. <laughs> and she said, oh, I didn't bring my allergy pills. I never thought that I'd be allergic to anything in Southern California. Sure. And I said, so you're throwing yourself on the herbalist, are you? She said, yes, please help me. I said, all right, go get some <laughs> water. And while she did that, I got out the OSHA tincture because I always travel with it. And she brought the water back, and I put five drops in her glass of water and asked her to drink it. And you could see that she was thinking, what is wrong with this woman? She just put five drops of something in a glass of water and expecting it to do something. I take drugs for my allergies. But she was complying. She drank the, the five drops of ocean and the little bit of water that she had gotten in her glass. And walked out of the room about 10 minutes. She was back in my room going, what is that? She says, that works better than anything I've ever used. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's OSHA. I said, enjoy. About mm, four hours later, she came and she said, it's wearing off. I said, you're right. Right, most people, four hours, a little bit more, a little bit less, something right around okay. there. Uh, okay. I said, but you know, fact of the matter, OSHA is a bit of a trick. Hmm. And I find that like with most tricks, it works best if you don't hammer the trick. Hmm. Right, like your body is saying, I don't like this, I don't like this, I want to get rid of it. And so sure. it's... It's causing tissue swelling to prevent that nasty pollen from coming in, and then it's causing, you know, secretion of mucus to get rid of what's there. So to make your body stop, it's kind of a trick. Sure. That makes sense. So I said to her, I said, you know, probably two or maybe three times a day would be, like, the right amount. And see if you can just, like live with what's happening for another four hours. Yeah, totally. And she did, right? So we tend to think of drugs as things that are going to take our symptoms totally away and we're not going to have to think about them anymore. Mm -hmm. I like to first acknowledge when the symptom is really appropriate. Sure. Because it is, it's just out of bounds. I like that a lot. Meanwhile, find yourself some ragweed in bloom. It doesn't Mm. have to be much. You can use a little bitty jar and make a tincture of the flowers of ragweed. Mm. 
And Ooh. next year, next year, starting at the beginning of August, you'll take a little bit of your ragweed tincture every day so that when it starts to flower, your body will say, oh, that's ragweed. I know what that is. No big deal. <laughs> cool. Okay, cool. Oh, is it safe to take tinctures while pregnant? Let's see. A one-ounce bottle of tincture is 40 dropper fulls. Each dropper full is approximately 25 drops. Mm-hmm. One ounce is the amount of alcohol in a glass of wine, a beer, or a drink. Right. Are you asking, would it be safe to take an entire ounce of tincture at once? (laughs) Are you asking if it would be safe to take one fortieth of an ounce? Okay, I see are you asking whether it would be safe to take even less than that? Yeah, I would I would just say like the dropper amounts, you know. Like if you were going so to do a do full think, dropper of think something. Do you of an ounce of alcohol is going to cause fetal alcohol syndrome? Well, no. No. You're right. It's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. You are welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And we have lots of callers on the line and listening. No one has raised their hand to say that they have a question they're ready to ask. Um, Oh, Anne is right with the world. Let us take a moment of gratitude that there are no problems right now. Ah, isn't that marvelous? Mm. It is. Yeah. But we know that someone probably wrote in with a problem. Someone has written in with a question. It's more of a question than a problem, though, actually. So... Um, working with the problem, but definitely question we have um, as emailed in is uh, I'm interested in producing herbal tallows, but I'm not sure where to get the materials needed or even what to ask for. Is it lard that I will prepare to create tallow, or will I be searching for something called tallow? Once I have the tallow, how do I go about infusing fresh herbs into it. Thanks and green blessings. Yes, tallow is tallow. Each animal fat has a particular name, right? Chicken fat is schmaltz. Pig fat is lard. (coughs) And the fat from ruminants or herbivores is usually called tallow, whether it's from a cow or a deer or even a goat. 
and often the name of the animal will be on it. So you can go to a butcher and ask for tallow. What's really interesting is to use the fat from different areas of the animal's body because the fat, of course, is associated with hormones. We know that this is one of the reasons why those who are overweight are more likely to get hormone-fed cancers because they have more fat and are therefore more loaded with hormones. So the fat around the kidneys has cortisol. The fat around the heart has heart-healthy hormones and so on. So if you know your butcher, you can even see if you can get fat from a particular organ. The tallow that they sell will probably be for um, feeding birds. Tallow and suet, of course, is another great fat. It's not just tallow that's used. It's all kinds of animals and their fat. The Aboriginal aunties told me that when they could still hunt kangaroo, that the kangaroo fat was their absolute favorite for making their ointments. And then when they were no longer allowed to hunt the kangaroos, they used emu oil. And I often suggest that as you're moving into exploring animal-based things, that there's two things to try. Emu oil, which is an animal-based fat, which is liquid, so it's a lot like using the olive oil that you're used to. And coconut oil, which is solid when it's cold and liquid when it's hot, which is more like animal fats. What we want to do with animal fats or coconut oil in order to infuse plants into them is to get them into a liquid state and then keep them in that liquid state. It puzzled me for years and years. I could not figure out why the instructions were to put your plant in oil and then heat the oil in a crock pot or put the oil in the sun because everything I had learned about keeping my oil fresh and good was don't heat it and don't put it in the sun. And, of course, then those recipes would usually have, so then add some, you know, tincture of myrrh or some vitamin E or some propolis or something to preserve it because, of course, you just ruined your oil. But when I finally realized that those recipes were just taken verbatim from animal fat recipes, just using oil to replace the animal fat without replacing the technique, I began to understand. I bought some small jars of coconut oil this year so I could experiment 
with coconut oil. And it was very alarming to Justine when she came to visit to see jars of oil sitting out on my bench, a couple of jars of red hypericum oil, some plantain oil sitting out there. She's like, oh, oh, your oils are sitting out in the sun. I said, yes, it's coconut oil. It's okay in the sun. So the animal fats are okay if we warm them up. And there's a lot of ways to do that. It can be tricky warming them up over direct heat. So if you're going to do it on a stove, get a flame tender to get between your heat and your pans. That's the tallow heats very, very slowly. Or do it in a double boiler. Or use a crock pot. Just got to get it liquid. Get your plant into it. And then keep it liquid while it infuses. Most people like to strain the herb out of the solidifying fat at the end of six to eight weeks because it is going to necessitate getting the fat warm again if you store it with the herb still in it. It's not possible to separate the infused oil from the plant material unless it's warm enough to be liquid and thus to pour. Thanks for your question. Great blessings. All right. And it looks like we have two questions that have pressed one to say that they have a question. Our next caller is calling in from the 206 area code. From the 206, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Shay. How are Hi, you? Hi, Shay. Hi. Um, I'm calling tonight to ask um, for your wisdom about some joint pain that I'm having in my hands. Um, my, um, my son died on April 15th. My, my son, who was 24 years old, he died in an accident. And, um, his birthday was in June, and almost immediately after his birthday, I started having a lot of joint pain in my hands, like arthritic-style pain, which I had never had before in my life. And it's like a sudden-onset thing. So I know that it's connected to the loss of my, my son. Um, and I think there's something about... Um, him being snatched out of my hands, and so my hands are still clenched energetically. So some of the things that I've been doing after um, I went through abundantly well and looked up arthritis, and every I went to every single page that had anything. So I have been taking chickweed tincture and burdock root, and um, they seem to help. Um, because when I don't take them, I notice that the pain is, is uh, my hands throb more if I don't take those. I also tried the um, burdock vinegar poultice, which is really cool and gave me immediate relief. I went out and harvested whole burdock leaves and rolled them up and put them in apple cider vinegar and then 
when my hands are really bad, I'll steam the leaves, like you say, to do in the Healing Wise book, I think, and wrap my hands in the leaves, and that helped, you know, for a while. Um, but I just, I don't know if I need to, like, to release some energy, um, but it's, it's a pretty difficult pain in my hands, and it's um, making my regular activities um, more challenging at times when I have to use my hands. So I just wanted to connect with you and um, ask you for some guidance and some wisdom and maybe some love. (laughs) Well, that was going to be the very first word out of my mouth was, I love you, Shay. I love you. (laughs) I love you. And I love your love for your son. What's his name? Ollie. Oh, man. His name is Ollie. Ollie. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. He was my mm. beautiful boy. <laughs> Grandmother Twyla taught us that when someone dies in an accident, that they don't know they're dead. and that they have to be released. (laughs) I'm afraid to let him go. (laughs) Of course. I really resonate with with what you're saying. I can feel that it's true. And we need to reassure Ollie that you are going to be okay. You're going to punch a 
pillow. Or a bed. And it seems wrong, wrong, wrong to be mad at somebody who's died. But your hands are telling you about this anger. And what Elizabeth saying to us is the part you deny is the part that's in control. Deny your anger at the person who is dead and that is the part that's driving. Find it, express it, give it a seat at the table and it's just another part of you. I hear you. I remember one of my goats broke her collar and then broke down the door in between where the goats stay and where the milking parlor is, which is where we keep the feed, and then used her horns to pry up the locked lid of the feed bin, tearing off the lock, and ate enough grain to kill herself. And when I found her, I, I... just felt so furious at her that I had to start laughing. It was just exactly what Elizabeth had told us. It was like, I was just, of course, I was horribly upset that she was dead, but I could really feel how angry I was that she had gone to so much trouble to eat herself to death. Yeah. Had deprived me of her presence. <laughs> had made a mess. Now I have to deal with her body. And destroyed all of my fantasies of the future. I don't know what it means to let go. It feels like um, not mothering him or not caring if I let go. I, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. First, you were pregnant, yes? Yes. And Ollie was inside your body, yes? Mm-hmm. And then you let go enough to get him outside your body. Yeah. Which is actually a pretty big letting go, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it can and the 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 whole build up to it's pretty painful. And at one point you think, I'm gonna die, this is gonna kill me. And yet on the other side of that is your baby outside your body, right? So did you stop being his mother because you pushed him out? No. 
you like can't not be his mother. Him. Letting him go now is very mothering. The first person that was asking my help for dealing with cancer was a five-year-old boy. It was actually his parents who were asking for help. Mm. And the doctors had said that it was hopeless and that the treatments they had tried hadn't worked. And they came to me and said, this is the time for us to try any and everything. Can you help our little boy live? And I said, will you allow me to speak to your son alone? And they agreed to that. And when I spoke to him alone, I said to him, your parents want me to help you live. What do you have to say to that? And he said, I want you to help convince my parents that it's time to let go. Wow. I had a dream couple months ago where my son came to me and he said, I don't want to go backward. I only want to go forward. I don't want to go backward. And I didn't really know what it meant. And I think I understand now. I know I understand now. And I guess the letting go that I don't really know how to do is just uh, becoming willing to let go just be like the opening the possibility and allowing allowing the process to unfold. Yes. And in this situation because of the accident, either you or someone on your behalf n- needs to in some ceremonial way, tell Ollie it's time to go. Grandmother Twilight, Seneca, believe that when someone is killed accidentally and they have no time to prepare for it, that they don't realize they're dead. And they do a lot of inappropriate things with living people because they don't get what's going on and that someone has to tell them they're dead and they need to go. And what he's saying about I don't want to go back, I want to go forward, sounds like that to me, that that someone who's had, you know, any time at all to prepare for dying is already on that forward trajectory, but because it was an accident, he isn't granted that, that just knowledge that he has to take the next step. At least this is what Grandmother Twilight taught us, is that he actually has to be taught, he has to be offered, he has to be shown
And as I said, they do a specific releasing ceremony. And you don't have to do it if it seems too onerous for you. Anyone can tell Ollie. Mm. And then, yes, absolutely, I think that opening is like flowering. It doesn't just happen. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah. Because really what you're opening to, you're opening to life without Ollie. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. There was a woman at one of my workshops, and her <clears throat> teenage daughter was killed accidentally. And she went into very profound depression and grief for three years. And then her daughter came to her and said, Stop it, Mom! She said, I'm standing in a, in a line three miles long waiting for a new body, and you're wasting yours? Mm. It hurts. It will always hurt. It's unfair. It will never be fair. There won't be a day of your life that you don't think about Ollie. But would Ollie want you to only think about him? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Thank you. And if he shares in your emotional tenor, do you want him to always feel you being sad, or is it okay to share some joy with him? Mm. Yeah, I guess then it's... I've just been really being present to my feelings and not trying to suppress them and, you know, just be be with what emerges and, and let the waves rise and fall the way they will. Um, That's so excellent. That's so good. And that works so well with grief. But when you're grieving, you actually have to court joy. Oh, that's a good reminder. That's a really good reminder. Yeah. Where is it? Is it looking up at the sky at night? Is it petting a cat? Is it looking at a leaf? As the sun shines on it, where's the joy? 
It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be a big orgasm of joy. It can be that too. But mm-hmm. it can be the way that grief rises up. Let, let yourself cultivate joy like that too, just rising up out of the ordinariness of life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, Shay, it didn't take me long to figure out, even as a child, that life was not necessarily designed to make us all happy all the time. And that there were going to be painful, unhappy, unfair things. And that the only revenge is to enjoy yourself as much as possible. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> Take my joy and wipe Europe with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's plenty to be upset about, and there's plenty of people who are upset. Court the joy. Yeah. Share it with your son. Send him on his way. Thank you so much for your heart and your presence and your wisdom and everything that you share with us. I appreciate you so very deeply. I I love love you, Shay. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. Uh, We have two callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. Our next caller is calling from the 406 area code. From the 406, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, I just listened to your last conversation. It was just really beautiful. And um, I just want to say thank you for being so accessible to everyone. It's amazing to do this show. Um, I'm calling tonight about a, a corn on my foot, and uh, I got orthotics for it. Yeah, <laughs> I got orthotics for it about a year ago, and uh, it's, still, it's still there, so I have to regularly file it down just to keep it nice and pliable and soft. Um, uh-huh, do you have any, uh-huh. um, any advice on what I could do to maybe uh, help the skin soften or help less buildup happen? There are herbs that are called discutient herbs, um, which I always thought meant they, that they weren't cute, uh, but that's not what it means. <laughs> and they specifically soften masses that have grown. 
whether okay. it's a corn or a cyst or a benign tumor, the discutian herbs are used to soften and even possibly dissolve that. So we think things like, oh, chickweed, comfrey leaf, red clover, violet leaf, linden. How would I prepare them? You can make a poultice to put on the corn. You can soak your foot in a brew. You can chew up the fresh plant material and spit it onto the corn and stick a Band-Aid over it. Okay. And you can do all of them, although probably not at the same time. Okay. If I was to make a poultice with, um, like, a dried herb, um, do I just moisten the herb and use hot water and just put it on? Yes. Yes, usually you would, like, boil the dried herb. So what dried herb would you use? Um, Maybe I have linden here, so I could start with that. Linden, great. Okay. Are you Mm -hmm. drinking linden infusion? Yes, I'm drinking that and nettle. Right. So what you're going to do is you're going to take the linden from the next linden infusion that you make and use that as a poultice after you strain the infusion off. Awesome. Okay. And then you can use the comfrey leaf from your comfrey infusion to make a poultice. And you can use the red clover from your red clover infusion to make a poultice. Awesome. Um, so I just take the take the the plant material, stick it on, um, and then just wrap it up all day, or it's on, just it's on your for foot. hours. It's on your foot, right? Yeah. It's on your foot. Mm-hmm, it is. The corn is on your foot. The corn's on my foot. Corn's on your foot. You could. Um, what I've seen some people do is put the herb material in a sock. And wiggle your foot down into the sock so that the herb material is on where the corn is. And then put a plastic bag over that, Mm -hmm. tied loosely. Mm -hmm. You don't want to cut off your circulation. And you go to sleep. And wear it overnight. Okay. Awesome. And then, you know. Thank you. Right. Then it's easy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How how long should I try this for? Just continuously do it until it starts to go away? Yeah. Okay. I'll give it a shot. Thank you. You're welcome. Can you call at some point and let me know how it's going? I will, for sure. Thank you, Susan. Good night. You're welcome. Good blessings. Good night. All right, we have one caller with their hand raised, and I will remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. Our next caller is calling from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Carol from Nashville. How are you? Hi, Carol. This is amazing that there's nobody behind me. I'm... I want to like to talk to the lady that called about her son. Because I had my 22-year-old son was killed suddenly as well. And today I was out harvesting. It was 20 years ago. And I was out 
today I Nash, the town I live currently living in. I spent so much time making bouquets, so I gathered all. I was, while I was gathering all these wildflowers along the highways to sell at a market tomorrow morning, I was having these visitations with my son that died. But I wanted to let her know that uh, uh, so much came to my mind while she was on the phone, and the fact that there's nobody behind me, I just thought, oh, these boys are, you know. There was so much you said that was true, and um, oh, what did I write down? But one thing is that you just talked about birth, and, you know, when you're giving birth, you're laboring to be alive. And when you die, you labor to die. And some are quick, and these quick births, because I was a midwife for a long time, the women that have quick births takes them a long time to process that birth because it's so precipitous. And the women that have time to enjoy the beginnings of labor and they go through labor, that birth is, and when you, when death comes upon you, it, you either, you know, it's either a nice, you know, a long labor of death and you're prepared for it, or it smacks you head on and you just, it takes time to digest it. And I relate to this and, um, I don't have a question. I only called because there was nobody behind this lady. But this is, please let, this lady is, you know, grief has its space and its time. And it's, and, you know, like you said, you have to let go to give birth. You really, and having visions and never, I'll tell you one thing. My son's death changed me because somebody handed me a book called Conversations with God. And I was a staunch right Christian kind of person at the time and I got that book and never will I ever think for a moment when when that son comes to mind that he is visitation souls don't go away it's it's an it's the it's like the mycelium in the earth it it just changes its energy and grief oh I just I just wanted to know it you know just like you said, when you welcome a child into the world, it's a death to a pregnancy and a single life and a life to this person. And to say goodbye to this person is just the same thing as saying hello. You're going to change my life when you come in. Like people underestimate miscarriages sometimes. It's not it's about how much time you've spent. Like the moment you're conceived with a wanted pregnancy, you know, you, it's the time you've spent with the person, whether you're six weeks pregnant or the person's six, 16 years old or 36, you know, it's, anyways, I, this lady, Shay, I think it was her name, God, man, many green blessings, there's a sisterhood around you, and I'm, I'm very thankful that there's nobody behind me because I don't have a question but my goodness, you are fresh out of a traumatic birth, which is death. Like she said, like Susan said, when you're in labor, there's a point when you're thinking to yourself, I'm side-swiping death. You are. It's death to not having the child inside. It's, it's, now it's up. Here we are now in this new life, and the new life when they exit. The same, but it's a downer, not an upper, but it's the same energy. And that's all I have to say. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, Thank you. What's your son's name? 
my son's name is Christian. Christian, all right. Christian, still there um, with you. Oh, you know, if, when I die, I intend this book, Conversations with God, there's a point in there where he's like, if you find something in the crook of a couch and you think, oh, my gosh, am I being visited? You are being visited. Stop. Don't question me. I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to say hello. You know, and that's and so just go there with it. Like, this is a visit. Hey, you, you know, or a dream. Or like you said, you know, I had a dream right after my son died. And now I, I didn't have the dream. One of my children had the dream. And she said he was in a tree reading a book, which was his glory moment. And he was in a tree reading a book. And he said, I, I, it, it happened. It was, it hurt for a moment. And then I found myself here. And he was just like loving life. He had a stack of books that were like, floating in the trees and he was on it and, and like you said it's, you know i you let <laughs> you let go to, to let go again because it's a it's, it's a life cycle nobody's guaranteed six weeks in the womb or six weeks out or 60 years out or you know it's just you know, they do exit grieve man feel it for sure she said something like saying that she means oh feel it hard and heavy man it's, in fact the more you can feel it's like having natural childbirth being versus medicated. The more you feel it, the better off you are. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for that moment. Thank you, and green blessings. Good night. Good night. Okay, we now have two callers that have raised their hands with questions. Our next caller is dialing in from the 203 area code. From the 203, you are Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Nora. Um, hi. I have a, hi. I have a question tonight about a deep laceration. Um, so a couple of days ago, I was swimming in a lake, and as I was kicking, um, I kicked either believe it was a jagged rock or potentially a log and um, cut my foot extremely deep, um, actually needed 18 stitches. So uh, needless to say, you know, I went to the urgent care, they stitched me up and sent me on my way with two different pretty heavy duty um, antibiotics. So I have not taken any of them yet. I just wanted to give you a call first to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, given that I was swimming in a lake and just obviously I want to prevent infection, but don't really want to wreak havoc on my gut. So, and so when do question. antibiotics prevent infection? I don't know. I have never heard of the antibiotics ever? preventing <laughs> infection. In fact, it's one of the ways that antibiotics are most overused, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Antibiotics can yeah. help the body get rid of infection. Mm-hmm. Right. But if we take antibiotics and we don't have an infection, then what happens is we set ourselves up to create in our own guts antibiotic-resistant infections. Mm-hmm. Stephen Booner, in his book, Herbal Antibiotics, talks about antibiotics and a 
pretty interesting experiment that they did. I think it was in Germany. They had four cages of chickens. Two cages were inside the barn and two cages were outside. One of the inside cages and one of the outside cages, the chickens were given feed that had antibiotics in it, and the other inside cage and the other outside cage, the chickens were given feed that didn't have antibiotics in it. Within a week, the chickens that were getting the antibiotics had antibiotic-resistant bacteria in their gut. Within two weeks, all of the chickens, even the ones who weren't getting antibiotics, had antibiotic-resistant bacteria in their gut. Within a month, all of the farm animals had antibiotic-resistant bacteria in their gut. And within three months, the people on the farm who were not eating the chickens or the eggs from the chickens had antibiotic-resistant bacteria in their gut because the chickens were given antibiotics to prevent infection. Wow. That was kind of what I thought you might say. <laughs> my, my definitely, definitely my intuition was leaning towards not, not taking them. Um, now, let's go back to the problem, which is you got cut and you're not sure that the water was sterile. As a matter of fact, we know the water wasn't sterile, and you got cut on a log. And it might not have been a log. There might have been a nail or a piece of metal or something old on the log that cut you. So mm-hmm. we think, you think, that there's a possibility that there could be an infection. And not only that, of course, it's stitched up which now means that it is a place for the growth of anaerobic infections. Mm-hmm. Because they probably right. told you to keep it dry. And, of course, wounds can't heal unless they're wet. Mm-hmm. But they want you to keep it right. dry because they don't want their stitches to pull out. Right. So in order In order to preserve the stitches, they tell you to do that which is not good for the wound and that which promotes the growth of bacteria. What herbal anti-infectives do you generally use? Luckily, I had a yarrow tincture with me on the scene. Yes. So I did. Yes. I did put some on that. Um, and then I can, I have been using that since, um, I don't know yes. if hypericum tincture. I agree. That's exactly, exactly what I would do is I would just, despite the fact that they're telling me not to keep it wet, I would put yarrow tincture on it every opportunity. I would keep it as wet as I could without softening the skin so that the stitches start to pull, right? We want to preserve those stitches, but I would get that yarrow tincture in there. And then if I thought that there actually was infection, if there was any rubor, if there was any redness, right, if there was any heat, if there was any tenderness, then I'd start taking a chinasia tincture. Wouldn't you? Mm. Yes, that makes sense. Definitely. Okay. Great. Um, super quick I've been, I've been going to a online judicial class. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And um, one of the things that they said really struck me, and they said, once you know these ways to neutralize another person, the whole idea is 
not that you that you do anything to anyone other than you stop them. You neutralize them. You calm them down. Um, and you do that because you know that you have the skill and the wisdom to do it. So you have the skill and the wisdom to use herbs to counter an infection, yes? Definitely. Good for you. Yeah. um, The last thing I'll say is they really, really pushed the tetanus shot on me. Um, Because they created a situation in which tetanus will grow. Tetanus is an anaerobic bacteria. Okay. They took your wound and they sewed it up, making a place for anaerobic bacteria like tetanus to grow. When was the last time you had a tetanus shot? Well, I had one the other day, but I was definitely, it had definitely been more than 10 years since my previous one. So I guess I was overdue, or I don't know if you believe in getting them every 10 years, but they basically said you shouldn't walk out of this place unless you get one. So um, They're right. I was. Yeah, they don't I mean, necessarily it's up to the fact that, that you have to get a tetanus shot because of what they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. In other words, if you had elected not to have stitches, you wouldn't have needed a tetanus shot. Oh, interesting. I see. Tetanus can only grow in the absence of oxygen. It can only grow in a puncture wound or a stitched up wound. Oh, okay. No matter how big or deep the wound is, so long as the air can get into the wound, tetanus cannot grow. It's anaerobic. It has to be without oxygen. Okay. I see. All right. Okay. Well, glad I got it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Good. And I appreciate it. Keep, you know, keep taking care of yourself, and you'll heal Mm -hmm. wonderfully well. And um, fee-fi-fo-fum on that old log. Right? (laughs) Right. I agree. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Blessings. Good night. All right, and there are two callers with questions. The next caller is calling from the 401 area code. From the 401. Hi, can you hear me okay? You're a little weak, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, is this this better? (laughs) Yes, it is. I'm calling my my question for you tonight is. which of the COVID vaccines you went with and why, and if you had any sort of response and what, what herbs you took to support yourself through any? Well, in general, what I would say is um, get vaccinated. Um, it's kind of like eat vegetables. It 
doesn't really matter what vegetables you eat. Um, so get vaccinated. And I got um, what was easily available to me where I live that I could walk in with friends and neighbors and get vaccinated. And it was, for me, it was very pleasant. It was very easy. Um, there wasn't even a mark on my skin. I said, sure, did you really put a needle in me? There wasn't even a red mark. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, afterwards, did get you vaccinated. It's really, right. you know, like, does it really matter if you eat zucchini or yellow squash? Does it really matter <laughs> if you have a Roma tomato or a big boy tomato? No, it doesn't. Mm. Eat vegetables. Yeah, I guess, you know, my, my hesitation sort of lies in the in the food and drug system as it is, so that's why. But I've been, you know, I'm not against it by any means, but I've just had a hesitation that's kind of been, I've had sort of a visceral reaction to it. And Have you been in a car you know, recently? I, Have you been in a car recently? You yes, understand I, that your chances of dying in a car accident are a thousand times greater than coming to any harm from getting a vaccination, you know? Understand that, right? Right. And I've been listening to your... Yeah, you willingly get in a car. And the Food and Drug Administration <laughs> is not even overlooking your car. Right. At least there's some oversight with the Food and Drug Administration. Right. Yeah, that's... You ever taken a supplement? There's absolutely no oversight of any kind over supplements, and yet you would willingly take a supplement? No, I actually don't for that reason. And a lot of skin care... I'm so glad. Skin, so. Right. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. But, so yes, what I, can I, you know. get vaccinated. Um, it's not only the thing to do for your own health, it's the thing to do for us all. A few of um, people I know that have gotten it have had a, a poor response, so I wondered herb-wise. Um, I think I've heard you say take St. Jones. Um, would that be the Anything one you want to take that will help you deal with your response, definitely. Whatever symptoms. Absolutely okay. fine. No problem at all. Okay. Thank you for answering and also for not shaming me, just giving me some real information. Oh, no shame at all. No. All right. Whatever Thank you, you so much. Green blessings. Right. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And we have one caller in the queue, and that caller is calling from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Yes. Hi, Susan. It's Carol from New Jersey. Hey, Carol. Hey. Yes. Um, I don't know if it's appropriate at all, but um, or if it's too late tonight when you might do it another time. But I, I, I got only bits and pieces of what, um, what you went through, and I don't know the story that you know from the beginning if you feel, you know, comfortable sharing that, but I would love to um, hear what happened to you and the steps that you took, but I don't know how you feel about that, and with all the greatest respect for you, I ask you that. You know, the blog talk shows are recorded and archived, and the show that you want 
is from last year, uh, the last Tuesday of May 2020. Oh. And you can go back and catch that show in which I tell the whole story. And this year, mostly what I've been talking about is our continued efforts to heal the three-inch-deep wound that Mm. I was left with after the removal of all of the bones and the soft tissues um, from the lower, very lower part of my body so much that my vagina had to be reconstructed with a muscle from my belly. Ay, ay, ay. And that wound has really um, amazed me. I remember mm. years and years reading about uh, wound healing and something about a wound that hadn't healed after three months. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what kind of wound could that possibly be that hadn't healed after three months? Well, here I am, mm. my goodness, you know, uh, 14 months into wow. working on this and it's still not completely mm. healed last week. I went in wow. without a bandage on my wound to my wound care. And um, they, I got a finger shook at me. You can't do that. I'm like, yeah, well, it's got to, the bandage has got to come off there sometime. Well, it's not this time. It's not ready yet. You need more mm. skin there. So mm. we managed to fill up that three inches with muscle, Carol. That's oh, wow. not an easy thing to do to build all of that muscle. And now oh, we're working you. on getting the skin to grow over the top of it so that I can be oh. bandage free. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, you are, oh, such a goddess. Oh, boy. Oh, girl. Woman. Oh, girl. Yes. Yes. Oh, and girl. In fact, in oh. fact, I made a little list the other day of the things that um, I am doing. Mm. And at this point, <laughs> the list uh, reads like this. Um, in order to break up the scar tissue in the fascia, um, because when I asked the surgeon, I said, you cut any of my pelvic floor muscles? And he, he looked very alarmed. He said, we would never cut your pelvic floor muscles. And then he said, but we cut all their attachments and took away the bones they were attached to. So as that, that has uh, attempted to come back together again, a scar tissue has formed, and especially in the fascia. And the standard treatment for that, believe it or not, is to roll a tennis ball under your foot. And I'm doing that one to three times oh. a day. Wow. I have pelvic floor exercises, specific pelvic floor exercises, um, that my pelvic floor therapist has given me, and I'm doing those one to three times mm. a day. I do a Feldenkrais floor work, and I'm oh, doing Feldenkrais floor work anywhere from two to four times a week. I do a yin yoga practice of about 90 minutes once a week. Oh. And I started oh. doing that. They let my yoga day is Wednesday. They let me out of the hospital on Monday, and I was at yoga practice that Wednesday, although I slept through the entire practice. But nonetheless, mm. I have not missed a yoga practice, and so I go every week to my yoga practice, whatever I can do. I walk on yeah. a daily basis between two and six miles. 
I have oh. a full body massage at least twice a month. Susie, my energy worker, comes once a week and uh, does an hour um, tune-up with me. Um, my uh, Tai Chi teacher also does a very interesting kind of uh, Feldenkrais massage technique, and I receive that um, gift once a week. There's an osteopathic doctor in the area, and I've been going to see the osteopathic doctor approximately once every three months, about four times a year. I, you have heard me talk about Dr. Anna Lups, the anthroposophic MD who's overseeing my mistletoe therapy, and I continue to go and see her every three months as well just to check in with her. I also check in with my gynecological oncologist approximately every six months or twice a year. I do pelvic floor therapy uh, once a week. And I do Tai Chi about twice a week. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, blessings. So those are the things that I am doing at this point toward my continued healing, strength, flexibility, and mm. um, continuation of uh, being able to do what I want to do, both for work and fun. Oh, blessings to you, Susan, blessings and honor and thanking you for all that you have so generously given through all this to us. And we we just bless you back and continually pray for your absolute healing. Oh, thank you so much. Such a gift. Such a wonderful gift. And <laughs> surrounded with love. Love and love and the moon and the stars and the sky and everything. Every star. I love you. Every star. Yes. Love Love you, Carol. Yes. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. It looks like that was Jamie called in yet. And yeah, did you say wonderful there's timing? Some... Jamie has just yep, called Jamie's in. Called so... in. Yeah, she is on the line. Jamie Della is an ordained shamanic priestess, a storyteller, and the author of nine books, including the Book of Spells, which is now for sale in Target. The Wicca Cookbook and a bunch of other books, which she's going to tell us about. Jamie Della has studied magic and spirituality from around the world for 30 years. She writes an herbal journey column for Witches and Pagans magazine, and she's written a magic blog and the Every Last Drop series exposés on the L.A. Eastern Sierra Water Wars. Oh, oh, oh. You can find Jamie's work in Sage Woman Magazine, Rebel Society, Spirituality and Health Magazine, Manifestation, and a bunch of other places. Jamie Della mentors women writers via creative writing and expression through her journey into her writing course that combines goddess wisdom with writing instruction. She offers an online spellcrafting 101, a six-module course on manifestation from the perspective of a hearth 
which Jamie Della invites you into a wealth of information via Monday Morning Cuppers on the Goddess app, and witchy tips before anywhere else, announcements, magical musings, and more on her for her Patreon members. You can follow her on social media as Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Della writes. My mission, she says, is to help you empower your original innocence Discover your innate lovability and activate your divine intuition. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Oh, I am so excited to be here, Susan. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You are welcome. Gosh, that Every Last Drop series is like right on the money, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. This is what I've always wanted to do. I was that person that had like these horrible postcards um, so my, by the water, so my boys would turn off the water when they brushed their teeth about like waterborne diseases and about people who didn't have. <laughs> I was obnoxious. I would turn off water when someone would be putting on their lipstick at a movie theater. I have fought for water for so long, so now to be doing real activism for water, just this is this is the witch's work as far as I'm concerned to do the real activism to really get out there and you know. Put yourself on the line a little bit. My name is on this. DWP could come. Hopefully, they're no longer doing mafia acts, but they could they could come down if they wanted to, I suppose. Uh, who could come down? The Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. So those are the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Because you're doing what? Because I am writing exposés that extent talk about how they have cut off the water from the environment here and how it's caused a an economic hardship for the the people here, the Paiute people that have been here for thousands of years and they ignore court orders and drag their feet and create dust that kills people. It's just it's been an atrocious um unjust uh, actions about water, and so now I'm writing, I'm interviewing um, environmentalists and tribal members and even ranchers. I mean, this is this coalition that I'm working for has really included people from all walks of life, from environmentalists um, and conservationists to, like I said, um, cowboys, <laughs> ranchers, and 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 native people who want to keep um, as much water here in the beautiful Eastern Sierra, which for most people just to know where that is, that's by the Yosemite National Park. Is essentially, I live on the east side of that huge 300-mile Sierra uh, mountain range that goes uh, from north to um, south to north um, in California. So it's an incredible site. It's been going on for a very, very long time. There's been a lot of movies about it, and our hope is to that the people of Los Angeles will demand for water justice. Do you think that's strongly possible? I don't know. It's been a fight for 100 years. You know, people have been... I was going to say, when I was in L.A. in the 60s, this was a fight. It's been a fight since the 20s. And and, and I know you were then. (laughs) <laughs> no, I was not. Absolutely <laughs> no. not. And I and I 
and I don't know, you know, my experience was that people in Los Angeles um, didn't care. Yeah. Well, I understand so this, that I that's think the politest way to put it. Right. That, they, <laughs> that if told, you are taking this water from someone else, they would say, mm-hmm. Right. And at the same time, a lot of those people from Los Angeles come to this area to play. They come to fish here. They come to ski and hike. Um, the influx of people that have come from the Southern California in the last, especially this summer, has been huge. So, you know, I believe it's a matter of finding out why it matters to them. Why should they care? You know, um, as a journalist, as a writer, there's always that question, so what, why now? And so yes. the answer is this, the DW, DWP is the face, Department of Los Angeles Water and Power. They are the, the face of L.A. when you come here to ski, when you come here to hike. They're, you know, they're, we, that's what we're looking at is um, that the water is being taken, and we don't want to pit L.A people against people of the Eastern Sierra and we want, but we also know that because the department, because the mayor and the LA commissioners essentially work for the people of Los Angeles. They are the employers of the mayor. They are the employers of the department of water and power commissioners and they can demand them to do better. Getting them to that point, Susan, I don't know if we'll get there, but you know what? I'm a light worker and I'm a Capricorn. I'm not afraid to try. <laughs> Even if it takes several lifetimes. Yes. Even if I have to start to when, when you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So We've I'm been working on the ERA for 49 years. Yeah, we're yeah. still going to keep working. Exactly. We're not, not going exactly. to give up. We're just yeah. we're going to have to convert them one at a time or however however we can, whatever, whatever it takes. But I, I find that the facts, and burying people in the numbers isn't isn't really how we advocate for change. It's really by telling people stories, really by sharing about um, a filmmaker's mother dying of dust pneumonia because she was in the internment camp in Lone Pine, because during the you know as a Japanese American during World War II, we can tell people's stories and hopefully, I have to hope that's that's what I what I live for is is to do everything I can to be the best human I can and to inspire the best of humanity and, and everybody who I touch. And you do it in so many wonderful ways. You write, you mentally write, you work with herbs, you work with magic. What shall we jump into now? What do you want to talk about? Um, you know what the things I want to talk about? I want to talk about the Book of Spells being in Target. And the reason I want to talk about that is because I find it so fascinating. Susan, your Healing Wise book came out in 1989. Is that correct? And you have something been like that. Such, Close enough, something yeah. like that. You're a living ancestress for green witchcraft. And I find that when, when my book, first one, the first book came out, The Wicked Cookbook, in 2000, it wasn't easy to be out there in a public way working with herbs, saying that you could um, heal with others. 
that that through your through your magic through your knowledge that we could heal others and it's been a long hard road when I first had the Wicca cookbook at um, a Barnes and Noble book signing some woman walked by and said oh how to cook witches how fun and you know it hasn't reminds me of a cartoon of two witches in a restaurant and one is saying to the waiter I'll have the children's menu (laughs) I love that I love that um so, yeah, or like when I was on radio interviews and they would say, well, do you still fly around on brooms? And I would get so mad. And then one of my friends said, just tell them that brooms are passe. We are now using vacuum cleaners for long distances and dustbusters for short trips. <laughs> and just, to, you know, try to have fun with it. So now that it's reached the mainstream, which is what I always wanted, I wanted to be able to say you know, oh, last night at that full moon ritual, you know, without having to whisper it or to talk about the red moon, the, the red tent that you've gone to or the fact that my partner, he works for Caltrans. He accidentally dropped his snowplow on his foot right before solstice. And what did I do? I, he, of course, he went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, we might have to amputate. And I said, oh, no. And I got out the uh, calendula to help his skin um, and move and move the blood and get the blood flow going. And then I made um, an infusion of comfrey, and he put that on every day, and his toe is perfectly fine now. And that is the kind of medicine that I want the mainstream to know is accessible to them, that we don't have to outsource our health care. We don't have to outsource our ability to take care of our own bodies and that we can co-create with the divine. And the fact that it's in Target, it's kind of a, a mixed bag because, you know, you lose some of the mystery, of course, with it, you know, get your toilet paper and your book of spells, you know. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of different. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> you know, I might as well grab a candle while you're in Target, you know. Um, so uh, I, that, that part is, like, kind of weird and funky to me, but at the same time, I'm so grateful that there are so many more people embracing this the wise woman lifestyle. It reminds me of the office, the Christmas office party. And I'm sitting there and people are talking about they're going to do this for Christmas. And then somebody says, well, I celebrate Hanukkah and I'm going to do this, da-da-da. And then somebody at some point turns to me and says, well, you haven't said anything. Do you celebrate Hanukkah or Christmas? And I looked at her and I said, I celebrate solstice. And there's this kind of quietness that comes uh-huh. over things. She says, oh, well, let's see. I celebrate Christmas, and I'm a Christian, and she celebrates Hanukkah, and she's Jewish, and you celebrate solstice. I said, and that makes me a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> It, it you know it's for me it's about education too. I had a, I had a neighbor who came across. She was across the street, or she lives across the street, and she's a, a born again Christian, and she has Bible night studies and whatnot. She was, um, and she was complaining by via text that I um, had we were late, we were um, up late, we were up past nine o'clock, and it was loud for her because I live in the mountains and the voices carry, and so she came over and she said, well. You know, I just didn't want you, you know, I just didn't want you to think I was upset. I didn't want you to think I was being a witch. And I said, oh, no, honey, you leave that to me. You leave that to me. I got this. 
I got this way. And then she just looked at me, and I'm a potter as well, so I had this 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 new cup that I had made that was heart-shaped so that you could have a candle in there and pour it out for um, beeswax divination and or whatever wax, candle wax divination. And I said, do you see this? This is, this is what this is used for. And I knew she was Greek, and I said, it's probably something like how your grandmother, your yaya, read the coffee grounds on the in the, tea, in the cups. And she goes, you know, she did that. And I said, yeah, <laughs> it's not scary. <laughs> Grandma's not scary. I'm not scary. You know, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm really thrilled at the accessibility of magic. I do think we still need to protect it because I don't believe my friends and I have a, a joke about a meme that we would like to do, and it would be a bunch of uh, women over 50 in a garden having made an incredible garden and sitting on a porch drinking their mint juleps or whatever it is, and how a, a young maiden comes along and plucks the flower and goes, look what the goddess left for me. And meanwhile, all the crones and hags are there with a, with a, with a you know, the scrapes and scratches from working in the garden, and you're like, Really? <laughs> that was that was that was the forerunners. That was the foremothers who, who who planted that for you. And and you know that's why I was so honored to to be here with someone whom I've looked up to for years and have had your books. And I'm just I'm just thrilled to be to be here conversing with you, my dear. Thank you so much. Now, I know what a hearth witch is, but I'm not sure everybody else does. So tell us about being a hearth witch. Well, you know, one of the things that I find exciting and frustrating about being a witch is that everybody has their own definition. We all relate to nature in a unique way. And so, you know, how I describe a hearth witch might be a little bit different from somebody how somebody else does. But for me, a hearth witch is somebody who tends to the heart or the hearth of the home. So that when you come into somebody's home, when you feel that energy, that they have tended well to the hearth fire. You know, in, in medieval times, one of the things I learned, my co-author was an early modern European historian, and she used to talk about how, or she wrote about how when you leave those that uh, medieval cooks always had to keep that coal fire going. And that coal fire was representative of the heart and the, and the love and the connection and the strength of the family and the home. And so that's what a hearth witch does. I keep that coal fire going in this home. And that could mean that I might make herbal potions, and I, I am a massage therapist and a body worker, so I make my own infusions so that when I work on people, depending on whether or not they're in a, an emotional state of, of needing a relaxing massage or maybe they're working through something and they need strength and I might use something different or if they've got something with their skin, but knowing those plants, knowing those, those herbal allies and working with them in a conscious relationship with plants where I am leaning in and listening to their wisdom, and I'm not just taking, but it's a reciprocity. And um, aside from that, I suppose for me, it's also home. A lot of home care. I do a lot of hearth, a lot of crafting. I'm I'm knitting a baby blanket for my firstborn grandchild. Like I said, I do pottery. So all the all the plateware in our home is something that I've made. 
it has that handcrafted quality that you feel the the essence of the person who is taking care of the home. So for me, that's what a hearth a hearth witch is, and a witch to, for me comes from that word wise. So wise is is knowing when to cast your magic, when to um, manifest, and when to observe, and finding that balance and that pacing of magic manifesting and magic waiting and integrating. I sometimes ask people to imagine what life is like when you not only made every dress you wore, you grew the plant that made Mm -hmm. the thread that wove the cloth that you cut out to make Mm -hmm. the dress you wore, which is Mm -hmm. why the witches bride naked. Mm. I love that. I love stories. I love stories as one of my parables and stories. I I actually grew up in the Christian science faith. So when um, people say, oh, is that the one that uh, Tom Cruise? I said, no, we're the ones who don't believe in doctors. I said, no, I believe that they exist. It's not that I don't believe that they don't exist. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just that my... Uh, my health um, practice comes from um, faith healing and knowing and seeing my wholeness. And all of those stories, um, the faith of a grain of mustard seed and you could tell a mountain to move, that that's as much faith as we need is, is the grain of a mustard seed. And that faith is, is, what, is what carries us forward and a friendship and a reciprocity with the earth so that you know, we know, like you said, we know whether or not we have um, grown the flax to make the linen or not. And that standing sky clad under, um, under the moon is a way to connect deeper with universal forces and with, with the planet. It's in having that, that no separation and that humility and that reverence, that's, that's to me how I try to live. I mean, I mean, I'm not perfect. I, I am mad at my neighbor, right, my different neighbor right now. He's building. He ripped out all this vegetation, the bit of brush for the. Um, I live about two houses away from the John Muir Wilderness, and this neighbor built, ripped out a bunch of um, bit of brush and native vegetation for the deer to put in an orchard that he's not even going to be here for because he lives in Phoenix. <laughs> so I'm not always. You know, I have these ideals, and then we strive for those every day, and we, we get close. It's like it's like how often I do my physical therapy. I, I tell myself to do it seven days a week, and if I get there five days a week, I think I'm golden. <laughs> I won't let any – when I initiate witches, I will not let, let them make an everyday commitment. I said life will never let you do anything every day. Don't make that kind of commitment. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love that because that's – I tell myself that every day knowing that I'll get there five days a week. You know what I mean? I don't really hold myself to it. But, um, but right. yeah, I think it's, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's see. You, um, you are going to be teaching at the Red Earth Herbal Symposium in a couple of weeks. Yes. I am so excited. I, I met Astrid at um, – and she learned at your at your knee, didn't she? Didn't Astrid learn? She is indeed a past apprentice. Yes. 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 So we met because I was um, very much focused for for uh, many years on um, on the 
teen witch on the on the the young woman who was coming of age and needed a mentor because I felt like that was something I lacked and something that was um, missing in my life and so I I wrote the book that I wanted and um, at the, we were at the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium and we got rained out and I ended up having to teach my class in Astrid's um, tent where she, or uh, teepee where she was staying and um, after the while, she sat in the class and she kind of looked at me and said, you know, I think we align. I think, <laughs> I think I like you. And so uh, we became friends and I love her red tent ceremonies. And so when she invited me to be part of the Red Earth Herbal Symposium, I was so thrilled. And um, as I am in an empty nester right now, I wanted to talk about mother work. I wanted to, to really talk about how to bring mother wart into, into your magic and into your power and, and working with all the um, goddesses from our, um, our Lady of Guadalupe um, to Isis and um, Yamoja and our other mother goddesses to, and mother wart. I'm actually wearing a mother wart necklace right now um, in honor of our conversation to bring in more of that energy so that that's part what I can share. Because I feel like while I was a mother, I was helping the enchantress or the maidens. And then as I've come into my queen years and I'm menopausal, now I'm looking back and, and doing what I can to guide the mothers. And then I suppose when I get into my 70s, I might turn back and look at what I call this phase and some people do as well, the, the phase between the mother and the crone, the, these queen years when you really – deepening your understanding of your own serenity. And so for, my, for myself, for the goddess, uh, for the, for the um, symposium, I'm excited to work, to work with Mother War. It was one of the, um, an article that I recently wrote, or maybe I wrote a couple of years ago, for Witches and Pagan magazine, right after my son moved away to college. I, I made a, a Mother War tincture. I was so sad. I went to Hawaii and... And then um, he ought to, uh, to play soccer. And then the first practice, he broke his, he twisted his ankle. And then, I, and then he said he was coming home. And I thought, oh, shit, the Mother Ward tincture isn't ready yet. <laughs> Can I take it like a shot? <laughs> the kid's coming back. Oh, no. Um, but I find it an ally for soft power. And I'm really looking forward to work, teaching that um, at the symposium. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, yes, Motherwort is just such an ally, although she splintered me the other day. And I have lots of dead um, stalks with the seeds gone, scattered now from the Motherwort. And I was tidying the garden and broke one of them off, and one of those little um, sharp points of the calyx embedded itself right into my cuticle. Ouch. Oh, my goodness. She is a fierce mother, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know what? It was at the, it was at the women's room. So when you say you're wearing a motherwort necklace, tell, tell oh, me yeah. how you've made that necklace. Do you have fresh well, motherwort that you made the necklace from? Um, no, actually, I you know I I believe in a the the a, the gift exchange of a of a matriarchal society, and so there's a young woman, a young mother who I met on Instagram, and she uh, Bridget Bennett. She um, and I trade. She sends me, she was just started, she's going to send me herbs 
um, in exchange for the creative writing class that I'm teaching. So she sent me, where I live, it's really hard unless I had a big um, uh, greenhouse, which I don't have, uh, because of 100-mile-an-hour winds and, and dropping below zero um, during the winter. So she sent me some dried motherwort, and there was a little glass vial with a little cork that she put a little bit of motherwort in a little tiny glass bottle um, that's on that's sitting at my heart. <laughs> Good luck. I do not find dried motherwort to be very useful. Well, for me, I really, I since I am, I understand. But for me, I, I like to, uh, as, a, as a writer, I like to talk to the plants. So I can still talk to them when they're dry. And, and she talks back to me. So as well as you, <laughs> well as you could talk to any imagining you had of it. I just, I, I find that the mints in general, once they're dried, have actually lost uh, most of their consciousness. Oh wow! So okay. much so that I generally, if I'm making medicine from anything in the mint family. I'm going mm-hmm. to actually take my mints to the plant. I'm not going to even harvest it and bring it in the house. Oh, okay. Wow. Because I have That's found good. that even that five minutes, a lot is lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, so the really hard I, ones like rosemary and thyme do better when they're dry. Right. But the motherwort, especially being a scentless mint... I find that it's that although it's tough and can splinter you like it did me, that its <laughs> primary action, as you're saying, that soft power, comes from something that's very volatile and very ethereal. Mm-hmm. I did have a motherwort plant right when I moved out, um, when I divorced my husband and moved out and became a single parent. Um, I put her at the back door. My motherwort, got- my motherwort <laughs> survives... 20 to 25 below Fahrenheit, cold is no problem for it. Does it? Oh. Well, then I, I just moved to these mountains a few years ago, and I've, I've um, my partner helped, um, built this home, and he lives on an acre property, and it, and it goes down to the creek. So it's been a, a task to get water to come up, but now we have, we have some more water say, coming that in. Is, that is probably the more limiting thing is that you live in a high desert area. Yes. Yes, I live in a high desert area, so so we have yarrow, but not a lot of <laughs> not a right, lot yarrow of yarrow and mallow. Yeah, yeah, we have we have that and horse tail. I found a bunch of horse. Oh yeah, horse tail. Oh, how yes, lovely. yes, we have horse tail and um, rose hips. A lot of rose hips. So that has been... What's your, what, what's your favorite use of rose hips? Do you use rose hips magically? At this point, mostly I use it um, <laughs> for massage, um, for, for an, as an infusion for massage, and as a face oil to get rid of the dark spots. You use so, the rose uh, hips? You make no, an I'm, oil I, with I, the rose I, hips? Yes, exactly. So I take the rose hips. And um, after the first harvest, I um, will, will um, I mean, after the first frost, I will harvest them and then um, infuse them in apricot kernel oil and then um, strain that out. And then that is a really excellent um, 
for me, because it's so dry here, it's so dry here, that um, it's, a, it's an excellent night, night oil on, um, and full body oil when I'm feeling frazzled by the dry wind and the static kind of electricity in the air. Mm-hmm. And is it the Rosa Rugosa, which is more of a seaside rose, or is it a, a mountain rose hip that you're using? It's the mountain rose. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, it's the mountain. I believe it's the mountain rose hip because we are nowhere near the sea. <laughs> so, nowhere yeah, near I mean, where the Rugosa. I've I, I met a lot of gardeners who garden Rugosa because it's such a nice hip. Um, and I know the no, wild no, no. roses of my area, you can put those rose hips in anything and nothing will happen. Yeah, no, Believe these, me, I've tried to put them in oil. You have oil and rose hips six months later. They're not speaking to each other. Oh, no. This, hard, this is the kind, dry, yeah. and just 99% seeds. Now, I've used rose hip seed oil pressed from the seeds. Do you right. grind the hips at all when you infuse them in the oil? I do. I do grind the hips. Before I before I put them in, and then what's really delightful is it smells like candy. It when when um, after it's been infused, it just it's such a strong smell of and I mean old school candy. I don't mean like you know, I mean something you would find at a fountain shop kind of candy, you know. Um, and so it just has an incredible smell, and then it darkens the oil, especially. Um, the end, and that's the part that I've that I've saved. And I just I just found I don't know about you, but you know you have all these oils and tinctures, and then I just found one, and the oil the name had been wiped off because of the oil, but then I I just opened it up, and I just that rush of sweetness from the rose hips just overcame me, and I was so thrilled because I have dark spots on my cheeks, and I. And I can put this oil on, and not only does it just lubricate my whole face and just make me feel fresh and plump and not so uh, withered as as it can be here, um, and then and then it makes the dark spots go away too. So that's lovely. It is so, so dry there. I was hiking there, and my foot slipped off a rock and plunged into a stream, and I got my blue jeans wet up to my mid calf, and they were oh. bone dry in five minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bone dry. Oh, and that's the other thing is aspen buds. That was the other. That's the other plant medicine that I've just just started to work with. Was was is. But it was it was a, a task of sometimes having to go up to higher elevations because I missed the buds and then had to take a hike to ten thousand feet elevation to get the buds for the um, infusion. The make, herbalist um, time machine. Go up. Go up, and you go back. <laughs> Jamie Della, I am having such a good time talking with you that I have been negligent in asking you to tell people how to get in touch with you. Well, you can get in touch with me on my website, Jamie Della, J-A-M-I-E Della, D-E-L-L-A dot com. And um, Jamie Della writes on Facebook and Instagram. All right, that's pretty easy. J A M I E D E L L A, jamiedella.com, or Jamie Della Wright on yes. social media. And I have lots more questions for you, but we have run out of time. What would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening tonight? Mm, I would like to explain original innocence is that you are always good enough. And infallible lovability is that you are always lovable no matter who and what you think or do. 
and that you can co-create with the universe. You just need to believe in your heart and in your power. The magic lives within. Grandmother Twyla taught us that among the great peaceful nations, the color of love is yellow because the Mm -hmm. sun always loves you and the sun Mm -hmm. always loves everyone. We are indeed infinitely lovable. Thank you, Jamie Della, for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And thank you, Sarah Ellen and Jamie, and all the rest of you, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine, the medicine of the people, by the people, and for the people. Good work, everybody. Good night and dream blessings.